0: Learn more at Marines.com.
1: HN Podcast, Miller and Dace, we've reached that time in the annual summer calendar that you've all been waiting for, or maybe just I've been waiting for, and I'm projecting my anticipation onto you, because that's what we do in society these days. If it's great for me, it means you're going to have to like it, too, otherwise you're an idiot. It is Steve Dace's 2018 college football crystal ball predictions segment where he ventures way out, way out there, sometimes well over his ski tips in trying to prognosticate what's going to happen this year before it happens. And as I do every year, it's, it's one of those things. It's like Babe Ruth calling his shot way back in the day, whether or not that happened or not. We don't know how it's been explained, but I can tell you that one day in our... Radio offices there at 2141 Grand Avenue in Des Moines when we were both working for WHO, Steve rolled over to me and made a prediction. That was in his, I don't know what it was, 2007, 2008 crystal ball. And he said, you know what, Lane Kiffin, uh, Philip Fulmer is going to get fired as Tennessee's head coach, and Lane Kiffin is going to replace him. And at that time, Philip Fulmer was the head coach at Tennessee, Lane Kiffin was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders and football season hadn't even started yet. And I thought Steve was crazy. And lo and behold, that prediction hit that hit one of the, one of the greatest of all times. And ever since then, I've been interested in this. Can't say you ever nailed one like that. You may never again, but you've done probably pretty won't.
0: well. Yeah, probably won't.
1: Yeah, I probably appreciate
0: won't. you reminding the audience of that every year. So I don't have to, cause you know, I would,
1: <laughs> of, I course. of course, of <laughs> course, <laughs> absolutely you should you should all right
0: if you're not gonna toot your own horn who else will
1: that's it i've been saying that for years say nobody else gonna toot it um gosh i almost made a horrible thing i'll leave it right there let's dive into it predicting the top 25 things that will or won't happen this season and for this episode of the hn podcast we'll get through half of it and continue the rest over on the bigger 10 podcast number one for the first time, a two-loss team will make the college football playoff. And I, if memory serves, and I'm going to have to pull this up now since I'm thinking about it, last year's, didn't you say this last year?
0: I did. It was very close. You'll recall Auburn was number two in the country in the college football playoff ratings going into the last week, conference championship weekend. So if, if Auburn had beaten uh, Georgia in that game, they absolutely would have been in the playoff. And a lot of us thought Ohio State, as the two-loss Big Ten champion, was gonna make the playoff. And we'll go back to the podcast you and I did back then, I don't think it was an SEC bias. I think it was an Alabama exemption. I, I think Alabama, just as a program, has earned their way to the point they looked at each other in that room and-, and said, are we really gonna claim they're not one of the four best teams in the country? So we almost had this happen last year. And John, when I, when I look at the Big Ten, I don't see how anybody gets out of this league with less than two losses. When I look at my power ratings and all the breakdowns that are still to come, I always release this first to give the audience a little taste of the preview, the full preview that will be out in the next few weeks. When I when I take a look at this league, I don't see anybody gets out of here with less than two losses. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State. Collectively, I've been doing this um, – since 1988, collectively, I th- those are the four strongest teams or among the four strongest teams I've ever had in this league at one time. The, the closest I can think of, um, uh, you go back to, you know, uh, 99, um, around 2003, you know, is debatable whether that time period I could have come up with four teams ranked or I, that, that I thought were this good going into the preseason. And yes, I know there's a fifth team there. I'll get to them in just a second. And those teams are all in the same division. They're all going to play each other. And we look at the round robin schedules. They're really not one team that's got a more favorable schedule than the other four. And then there's a fifth team there in Wisconsin. I, I don't ever recall a time it, it, since I've been doing this since 88 now Were five teams in the Big Ten, I I had all ranked and projected to finish in the top 15 at the end of the season. And with Wisconsin, this might end up being the best offense they've had since Russell Wilson. But if you look at their schedule, it's the reverse of last year. Last year, every game that mattered, they pretty much got to play at home and they didn't play that many games that mattered. This year, they play more games that matter and they're all the way from Madison. Even sneaky little second-tier games in their own division, like Purdue, which seems to be suddenly resurgent under Jeff Rome, that's a road game. Iowa is a road game. I'd be very scared if I was Wisconsin. There's one constant throughout the Ference era. Iowa's going to lose to somebody they shouldn't lose to, and they're going to beat somebody they shouldn't beat. And when you look at Iowa's schedule this year, there's not too many opportunities for them to beat somebody they shouldn't beat. One of them, Wisconsin, at home, likely a night game. We know what Iowa does in those situations. So every game, they play at Michigan, at Penn State. Every game on Wisconsin's schedule that matters most, they're all away from home. So throw in a Big Ten championship game, I don't see anybody getting out of this league with fewer than two losses. You'll see that when my preview comes out in the next few weeks, the full preview. And because of the strength of this league, uh, I do think, it is a lock this time, uh, particularly when you look at the non-conference schedules. Ohio State at TCU, Michigan at Notre Dame, uh, Penn State at Pitt. Those are all wins that uh, could be better than anything the Big Ten got in the non-conference last year, when their best non-conference win was actually Iowa winning at Iowa State, which turned out to be a really nice win. So. I think for all of those reasons, it's highly unlikely the Big Ten gets left out again. uh, The caliber and strength of competition will be too high, but I also think it's really going to be difficult for somebody in this league to get out with fewer than two losses.
1: I don't disagree with any of those thoughts whatsoever. And uh, I do have last year's crystal ball pulled up side by side so I can compare. And number two this year should sound familiar. No FBS team will finish undefeated this season.
0: And I almost got this right I almost got this right last year. Um, I think was Central Florida the only undefeated team? Uh
1: I think they were. Yeah. I think they were.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't see it this year, and I don't see it in a group of five either. Um, the strongest group of five teams are all playing each other. Uh, Florida Atlantic plays at Central Florida. Central Florida has a much tougher schedule than they had last year. Um, I think Florida Atlantic might be the best of all the group of five teams. They open up at Oklahoma. Boise State and San Diego State are both very strong. They play each other. Boise State's got a game at Oklahoma State, San Diego State at Stanford. So all of the strongest group of five teams are all playing each other and or really tough non-conference competition. I don't see anybody going undefeated. Even Alabama. Um, keep in mind, of all Alabama, all of Nick Saban's five national championship teams, in Alabama, only one of them went undefeated. Uh, you know, Clemson's been in the playoffs uh, every year. The one time they went into the playoffs undefeated, they didn't win it either. So I don't think anybody will go undefeated.
1: Get harder and harder to do that. Number three, Ohio University will end one of the nation's longest championship droughts. Only Iowa State, Vanderbilt, Indiana, and Minnesota's are longer by winning its first conference title since 1968.
0: Quick correction. Clemson didn't make the playoff the first year. I, I want to correct that before somebody corrects us, so duly noted. But this would be – this is, I think – the one thing Frank Solich is hanging around for—it's the one he's done everything else in Ohio. They've been in the top 25. They've had uh, multiple double-digit win seasons. He's just never won uh, the MAC while he's there. And this looks like a bit of a down year for Toledo. They lost quite a bit. They'll still be good because they recruit as well as anybody in the MAC does. And if they don't recruit the best in the MAC, Northern Illinois usually does. Northern Illinois is a very difficult schedule. So this looks like the year for. Uh, Frank Solich to finally do at Ohio the one thing he hasn't done because he's done pretty much everything else at what, it, what has historically not been a great football program, which is why they have won a conference title since 68.
1: Number four, this will be Brian Kelly's ninth season at Notre Dame. Uh, since Newt, uh, Newt Rockney only three other coaches have lasted that long in South Bend. Frank Leahy, Eric Parsegian, and Lou Holtz, all of whom won national championships, which Kelly is not. Three coaches, Those three coaches whose average win percentages are 818 compared to Kelly's 670, which is not horrible. Given that trend line, I believe this will be Kelly's final season at Notre Dame before heading off to the NFL. He'll be replaced by Iowa State coach Matt Campbell. Here is your Philip Fulmer, Lane Kiffin double take.
0: Well, two reasons for this. Just historically, Notre Dame coaches don't last this long, as I point out, they wear out their welcome. And I don't know any of them have the abrasive personality Kelly does. Right. Uh, even ones that weren't as successful. Throw in the fact he's, he's kind of been in this no-man's land where they, they're kind of just good enough to justify keeping him around, but they really aren't. You know, they, they, they were in the playoff race in early November uh, in the first playoff rankings last year, and then they got destroyed by Miami. They almost made the playoff a few years ago, and they lost in the last second on the road at Stanford. But other than that, not really since the 2012 destruction they, at, the, at the hands of Alabama in the, uh, the second-to-last BCS championship game. Has he really made them nationally relevant? He's just made them more competitive, and he's kind of already done the whole coordinator change. Um, right. You know, losing his defensive coordinator to a that would have been unthinkable five, ten years ago at a school like Notre Dame. So uh, you just—if it's not this year, I don't think he lasts much longer. Here's why I went with Matt Campbell. You usually want to get a coach who's the exact opposite of yeah. the guy you just lost.
1: The pendulum effect.
0: Yes, Campbell's persona could not be any different than Kelly's. The other thing Campbell has in common. Is he has coached at a private, originally founded as a religious school, uh, in Mount Union, so he has that sort of a background. Um, he's got a modern offense; wouldn't have to change much from what Brian Kelly does. A lot of things are similar philosophically. Uh, Notre Dame cannot do cannot recruit. You know, the last time they really dominated in recruiting is when Lou Holtz and Vinnie Sicaro were there and they they loosened their academic requirements to take Prop 48 cases like Tony Rice. They're not doing that anymore. They're not gonna do that anymore. And so you need a guy who has shown he can find some players in positions um, that are, are sort of a little bit off the radar, can develop those guys. Campbell has shown that at Iowa State already. He showed that at Toledo. So uh, he's got a lot of Midwestern ties, a lot of Ohio ties. I think these are, I think Notre Dame actually needs to become a little bit more provincial in its recruiting. Uh, I think it's not a coincidence that Notre Dame has struggled to get back to being nationally relevant, right? As Stanford's program under Harbaugh was ascending and has gone to even greater heights under David Shaw because academically, They're gonna recruit a lot of the same kinds of kids. And would you rather, you've been to South Bend, Indiana, well, you've been to Gary, Indiana, right? You've been to Gary, Indiana, okay? Um, Gary, Indiana is an armpit in search of an armpit in search of a razor. It's a horrible horse, all right? And uh, South Bend is essentially this one, um, one, it's a beautiful college town, but it's an oasis in what is one of the more dilapidated non uh not pleasing to the eye locales in america so would you rather <laughs> would you rather be close to palo alto um and, and and the bay or would you rather be close to gary yes i don't need to answer that question i just answer it by asking it. so i think campbell for a lot of reasons a guy that's young that's all. But he's young. That he's got two major head coaching jobs. One of the biggest jobs in the group of five in Toledo, a Power Five job at Iowa State. He would fit the profile of exactly the opposite of what you're looking for uh, in Brian in, 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 from Brian Kelly. And one thing else I'll, I'll mention: not, you know the Notre Dame's last few coaches have not had previous Power Five head coaching experience. Brian Kelly did not. He had been in Central Michigan and Cincinnati. Uh, Bob, Devi- uh, Bob Davey did not. He had been Notre in de- Texas a and defensive coordinator. Charlie Weiss did not. He had been the New England Patriots offensive coordinator. Had no college head coaching experience at all. So the last two times Notre Dame hired a coach that had been successful at the Power Five level, one was Ty Willingham, who'd taken Stanford to the Rose Bowl and got off to a great start and then flailed the, the other guy was Lou Holtz. That worked out pretty
1: good. Yeah, it did. And I know there's a lot of Iowa fans that are waiting for me to uh, finish the punchline of Matt Campbell moving from Ames to uh, South Bend, the Gary region, as a aesthetic upgrade. But I'm not going to do it because Ames is more aesthetically pleasing than that area, in my opinion.
0: I've uh, been to both places several times. There's no doubt.
1: Yeah, no question about it. Number five. Here we go. Uh, This will be Bill Snyder's final season As college football coach But he will wait until well after the bowl game To announce it in an effort to force the school To name his son as his successor
0: That one's pretty self-explanatory What
1: do you think? Yeah, I mean, this was number five Or number six last year Without the uh, caveat of waiting And basically leveraging um, Or deleveraging Kansas State Clearly that's got to be the only reason Why he's still doing it I mean, he's pushing 80, isn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think he'll either be 80 or 81 when the season kicks off.
1: Yeah, that's great for him. I don't want to go out like that, Um, and that has to be why he's doing it. So, very self-explanatory. Number six, after losing four games in a season only once between 1969 and 2001, Nebraska will lose at least four games for the 15th straight season. I think that that is a pretty good guarantee right there.
0: Yeah, I've put this in my last few crystal balls. I made an effort of making sure it made this one because I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this too many more times. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Because um, I think they've got a coach who that, that gets who they are. And I, I don't know that it's going to be, you know, 20 seasons in a row of at least nine wins and three out of four national championships again. I, I don't think it'll be that again but even the little things. You know, I was reading the other day that he insisted the school change its branding back to Cornhuskers. That's who we are, okay? This, it's it's kind of like he is correcting what originally began with the Bill Callahan hire. And I think when you've got the tradition in the brand Nebraska still does, even though they're that right now probably because of the fan expectation and the demographics of where they live, the toughest recruiting job in this entire league but he's got a gimmicky offense. That helps to lower the playing field to, to, to even the playing field. He, he gets who they are. And I think when you, when you have that tradition, I think you can win a lot of games on just that if you embrace I don't think you can win championships on just that, okay? <clears throat> Pardon me. I think in the end, it's, it, when we get to the championship level, it's, it, it, it's Jimmy's and Joe's more than you know, X's and O's. But you can absolutely be a consistent eight nine even ten win team when you have that brand and that tradition and that legacy if you just embrace it and I think that's the first step back for that
1: It's kind of like the last fifteen minutes of the Godfather he's coming in he's writing all writing all wrongs mm-hmm. all wrongs that have been done to the family and uh I agree with you. Unfortunately, I do think that he's going to get the job done there and turn things around. And maybe one more year you could throw this in. Maybe not. Number seven, for the first time in 15 years, the Miami Hurricanes will finish with double-digit regular season wins for the second consecutive season.
0: Can you believe that number? The you we knew growing up. I mean, how many schools can say, they've had four different head coaches win national championships, let alone do it in about twenty-five years mm-hmm. from Howard Schnellenberger to Larry to Frank Coker, right? Or was it mm-hmm. Larry Coker? Can't remember his name. Larry. Larry. You know, not many have had four coaches win national championships in their history. Let alone in that short amount of time. Hard to believe, but um, if they do, what I think they're going to do, they haven't done this since you know the Willis McGahee, Ken Dorsey era.
1: Hmm. I mean four different coaches to win national championships is that that's if you're an 80 that's a pretty good recruiting pitch for a prospective coach.
0: Yeah, it's even actually it's less than 20 years from 1983 to 2001 they had four different head coaches win national championships.
1: Got 19 seasons? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um you, either Art Bryles or Hugh Freeze will be hired as an FBS head coach for 2019 uh, um, I'm going to say I'm going to take the under on on Art Bryles I know you have an or here is Hugh Freeze not under any uh, show cause
0: it'll be expired although that they're, they're still appealing that case so who knows what will happen with it Saban tried to make him one of his uh, analysts this offseason, and the uh, SEC commissioner came in and said, yeah, we're not, we're not going there. But I go back to the podcast we did last week. I want to make this very clear. This is not an endorsement. It is an observation, all right? Baylor paid Art Bryles his full entire buyout. Now, we've got a story right now where UConn's AD... is is attempting to fire a former player and a national championship basketball coach, Kevin Ollie, for cause. And he's attempting to fire him for cause on the grounds that he violated NCAA rules. The three itemized cases of NCAA rule breaking, he mentions. One includes shooting baskets with a recruit, which can be construed, construed as physically training or trying out a recruit, which is a violation of NCAA rules. Another was knowingly allowing players to work out on campus with other um, personnel other than the school's own uh, training personnel, okay? And um, the other had something to do with uh, one text or something to her. I mean, these are... We're talking about hush money, payoffs, Louisville's running the damn brothel, okay? We're, we're, this isn't even Al Capone in tax evasion. This is like Al Capone in shade walking, okay? So we're in the era where they're trying to get out of a $10 million buyout for cause with some of the shadiest, cheesiest NCA infractions of all time. Baylor paid Art Bryles $15 million. You see what I'm getting at here? Yeah. If you have the drop, if you have the goods. Now, when I say somewhere in the FBS, I don't know. Art Griles might be coaching at Liberty, where his old AD is the AD now. They're going to the FBS. Right. So it could be like, you know, Terry Bowden had to go to Akron when there were cell phone calls of him and a mistress, you know, similar story to what happened with Hugh Freeze. The FBS has some most isolates, brother. It's got some outposts (laughs) of scum and Dill. okay? Notice they didn't say the power five. The FBS, though, we could be talking about, you know, uh, a lot of different places that have no – we could be talking about Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic, if you know what I'm saying.
1: Right, right. Um, The UConn examples you bring up, that sounds like an AD that doesn't like his head coach and is looking to get rid of him.
0: Yeah, and is and looking to not pay a $10 million buyout yeah. by any means necessary. Yeah.
1: Number nine, after another disappointing season, Colorado will fire Mike McIntyre and replace him with Florida Atlantic coach Lane Kiffin. You know Lane wants to get back in the show. And, yep. you know, having been in Boulder, even though it might not align with me uh, ideologically at all points in time, it's a beautiful... Yes. Beautiful area, right there in front of the Flatirons. I mean, it is a gorgeous campus, and another place where championships have been won. And Lane Kiffin certainly has uh, Pac-12 roots. I think that'd be a great fit. Reason I picked
0: Colorado, um, I I was there a couple years ago when I worked for the Ted Cruz presidential campaign. I was in the debate prep team they had there. Campus, it's it's everything you just said, man. It it is incredible. The, the football scenery of the stadium at the Rocky Mountains, absolutely incredible. But they don't have much of a recruiting base there. They, they're sort of now from a recruiting standpoint in the Pac-12 with Nebraska is in the Big Ten. They're, they are, it's not a novelty. You know, they, you know, Bill McCartney grew that program by going into inner city LA and, and, and going to single moms and saying, hey, get your kids out of the hood, send them to Boulder, I'll raise them up. You know, I'm a strong man of faith. I'll raise them up right, turn them into men, get them out of the lights, get them a degree, turn their lives around. Well, Oregon's kind of already doing that. That was sort of what Don James did at Washington and Chris Peterson's back and is doing the same thing at Washington now. So they kind of don't have that niche anymore. So they need a gimmick. They're a program in need of a gimmick. Lane himself is a gimmick. He's brilliant in terms of offensive play calling. I think, you know, because of shall we call it the values of the community and the campus. I think they're I think they're gonna tolerate a lot of Joey Freshwater, if you know what I'm saying, Rob. Okay? You know, I'm not I'm not so sure too many schools down there in the Bible Belt with a power five size media want to be reading about you know Lane making it rain at the local deja vu, if you know what I mean? Okay? Not sure they're gonna tolerate that down there at uh, at Kentucky. But I think Colorado is like, dude, it's Thursday. What are you talking about? You know, so um, I think it's a good fit. It's a league that doesn't play much defense. Uh, it's got a school. It's a it's a power five job, unlike in Kansas. Yeah, they went to an Orange Bowl 10 years ago, but, you know, we're not too far removed from Colorado being a perennial top 15, top 10 kind of program under both McCartney and Rick Neuheisel. So I, I think they would be in a position where they can't afford to play it safe They need a brand. Their brand is tarnished, and that's why I could see the fit there. If Florida Atlantic has the kind of season I think they're going to have in the group of five.
1: Number 10, Jalen Hurts will remain at Alabama through the season, get his degree in December, and then leave afterward as an immediately eligible grad transfer. I wrote this before the new rules.
0: The new rules, I think, make this maybe my easiest prediction to come true which probably means tomorrow he'll make, make a fool out of me, but here's why. The, he's not, remember he was he was SEC Offensive Player of the Year as a true freshman. He's never used his red shirt. We have this new rule now, you can play in four games, any four games, and retain your red shirt, right? So Tua tonga already missed some a good portion of spring ball with the hand injury. Saban can say to Jalen, dude, we'll just rest Tua's hand for four games, you pick the four you want, we'll show you off. And you know, you can still go and you still have a red shirt season available to you if you want. Plus, the new rules that now say schools can't stop you from going anywhere. In the FCC, they used to be able to, to stop grad transfers from going within the league. So, I mean, if he wants to go quarterback at Tennessee next year, or he wants to go quarterback at, say, Florida, um, where they have an offense tailor-made with Dan Mullen there for what he wants to do, Or if he wants to go quarterback with Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State when Nick Fitzgerald moves on, there's a lot more options for him now that he doesn't lose anything by staying and seeing if he's got a chance to win another ring at Alabama.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point um, on that transfer rule. Uh, Number 11, North Carolina will fire Larry Fedora after this season and replace him with Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy. You've you've been big on – Larry Fedora and moving around for a couple of years on this Oklahoma State's Mike Gundy going to North Carolina why Two few reasons one um, when your AD
0: is on a podcast openly saying your recruiting sucks and with, with like the exception of two with the exception of like one year ever with Thurman Thomas before he got to campus The only time Oklahoma State football has ever been relevant in our freaking lifetimes. Mike Gundy was either the quarterback, like when Barry Sanders was there and they had Hartley Dykes, he was either the quarterback, the offensive coordinator, like he was in the Les Miles years, or now the head coach. Like with one exception, and that's when they had, I think that was Thurman Thomas' sophomore year before Gundy got on campus and they had... Uh, who's the Washington Redskins who, who revealed that he graduated from Oklahoma State without being able to read? Remember what I'm talking about? okay? Uh, yeah. Okay. With that, like, that one exception, there has not been a time in our freaking lives, Oklahoma State football has mattered, that Mike Gundy either wasn't the quarterback, the OC, or the coach. And when your AD is out there um, dunking on you like that, and you're coming off of you've won 10 games or more, three of the last four years at Oklahoma State – And and he's already got this, he's already had a public row with with, uh, T. Boone Pickens, who thinks his money ought to be able to buy more than 10 win seasons with national championships. He's in a recruiting no man's land as well. You look at the division North Carolina's in, you have Miami with Mark Richt And, you know, Virginia Tech's okay. They're, you know, a top 25 team when they're good. But there's much more potential for upward mobility there. The recruiting region that he has down there in the Carolinas, uh, meaning that you know he's got to recruit Texas right now to be really good, right? Well, where's he at in the pe- in the pecking order of kids in Texas? Texas and Oklahoma are one, two. A and M's there. Alabama and SEC schools are going in there and right raiding the place. LSU's next door. Yeah, Texas Tech, Baylor. Meaning he's probably where ninth, tenth, eleventh. You're the coach at the University of North Carolina. Even if you're losing the best kids to Clemson and one or two other schools, you're in the top five of the pecking order of one of the richest, most fertile recruiting regions in the country. Maybe it's time to kind of get out while the getting's good. Um, I, and you've got the kind of offense that can immediately revitalize a program that has shown. You know, when Matt Brown was there, he was winning 10-11 games. When Dick Crum was there, they were winning ACC titles. They even got into the top 10 of the country in the 80s. Uh, you know, they were they won 11 games with Larry Fedora just a few years ago. So there's much more potential, I think, at that program than the one that he's at, particularly if your AD is going to be a douchebag and publicly dunk on you when you're coaching way above – what your, what your recruiting base should allow you to do on an annual basis.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with the premise at all. Uh, maybe North Carolina isn't the spot. I mean, he did have an opportunity to coach at Tennessee this past year. Uh, he might have his pick of jobs next year, but I, I, would, I agree with the premise that, that AD definitely did himself no favors if he's looking to uh, keep Mike Gundy. The AD that did win some national championships in golf – at Oklahoma State, but it's not the same in football. Memphis coach Mike Norvell will get a Big 12 head coaching job either at Oklahoma State or Texas, which dovetails to the previous discussion. Texas Texas Tech, Tech, rather, yeah, Texas Tech.
0: Yeah, I think if Oklahoma State, if if I'm right about Gundy and he leaves, he'd be a top candidate there with his offense. Um, Otherwise, you know, with Texas Tech, you go from Mike Leach to Cliff Kingsbury, you know you have to play a certain way to win. He's a good fit for them there.
1: Indeed. And let's – one more here and then we'll break and we'll finish this discussion on the Bigger Ten podcast. Number 13, Herm Edwards will leave Arizona State as their head coach after only one season. I think this is a pretty good bet. That sounds like a pure circus out there in Tempe. You
0: know what it reminds me of is when Howard Schnellenberger came out of retirement to go to Oklahoma. remember that. Mm Mm-hmm. And did he last a year or half a year? Okay. It just seemed like a desperate program looking for a desperate gimmick. And in this case, Arizona State was coming off seven wins, and they had defeated their two biggest rivals. Their two big rivalry games are Arizona, obviously, and Washington is their other big rivalry. So it's like the first time they beat both those teams in the same season. I think I saw since, like, John Cooper was the coach there or something. You know? I mean, that's when they were going to Rose Bowls. Maybe – no, it was, the, it was the year they went 11-0 with Jake Plummer 20 years ago, 96. That was the last time they beat Washington and Arizona the same season. Hmm. So, I don't I, know, I, man. I, I just – this just doesn't seem like it's, it's really happening. Like, every time I hear about him, I'm like, is this real life? That tweet me, you know? So, that's why I made this prediction. All
1: right. We will pick up the rest of these on the Bigger Ten Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.